I think most of you heard, of course, Mr. Uh, Rod McNair mentioned the tremendous response to the latest telecast that may end up being close to the all-time record. It's up to 7,300 plus. I have a screen they put up that keeps climbing as they record more. Uh, but anyway, it may have to get up to 7,500, and we're getting quite a number of responses for that telecast on the day of the Lord. So Mr. Ames did a tremendous job, and the responses to the telecast and to God's work are certainly growing overall, and we can be very, very thankful for what Christ is doing through this work. We do have much to pray about. We're grateful for the new Tomorrow's World magazine. I hope you've seen that with the pictures of the Sandy Hook School on the cover. And, of course, the pictures are getting better. The layout is getting better. The magazine, I think, is getting more powerful articles all the time. And I'm grateful. I've prayed about this for years. Our subscription list is already up over 400,000. So we're finally got up there, and uh, we're grateful for that. We do need to continue to pray about many things, about the work, about God's healing power, and certainly about ourselves, and really drawing close to God before this Passover. God often allows trials and tests to come just before Passover. Most of you know that, but it certainly happened this year. We've had spiritual trials, and I hope all of you who understand are praying very, very much about those things. And Mr. McNair mentioned, I'd like to reiterate, please do pray for Mrs. Nancy Hall, because her condition could be, of course, very, very deadly, since she has cancer, very serious cancer. And I want to mention something, and I hope no one misunderstands this or tries to argue about this or get upset about this. But I'm asking you to pray also for someone not in our particular fellowship, one of our separated brethren, and he certainly is a brother in one of the other groups of the churches, the president of the United Church of God, Mr. Dennis Luker. Some of you have heard he's come down with very serious, life-threatening prostate cancer. And he was in the hospital the last couple of days having tests. And I've been close to the Lukers for years, even though we've been separated. Our true groups have been more together in a loving fellowship of the last few years because he's there and I'm here. Mrs. Luker called me just yesterday afternoon. She'd heard that I'd called over. Actually, Monica called for me to try to get in touch with Mr. Luker. And she called to let me know that he was still in the hospital. He will try to call. They don't know exactly how many months or years they might give him to live, but she said it certainly is life-threatening and very, very serious. So, brethren, if some of us were very sick, I know if I were very sick or when my wife was very sick with her cancer, we had brethren and United and Cogwa and a number of these other fellowships praying for us. And we heard from people all over the world. We're not together as we ideally should be, but most of those people out there got confused in the tremendous confusion that God let come over his church, and they're in different groups. So they are brethren, most of them. If they keep the Sabbath, if they keep the holy days, they certainly believe in the same God we do. They believe in the Ten Commandments, and God will bring us all together in his kingdom and my feeling is this, and I may be wrong, I don't think we'll all get together before Christ comes, but I do think more of us will. I think that when these terrible persecutions come on the church, and when the real drought, famine, disease, or earth epidemics and earthquakes begin to shake people, it's going to shake them to their senses, and they're going to begin to realize we've got to get together, and we've got to be doing the work. 
So it will make more people want to get together and we certainly can ask God to guide it in that way. I think that will happen. I've had experience in the church, as you know, for about 63 and a half years now since I first came to college watching how people react in the church. I feel that will happen. So please pray for these other people. If any of them have a serious illness, pray for them. Please pray for Mr. Dennis Luker, who is also threatened with a very serious, uh, deadly form of cancer. And I appreciate your prayers for him very much. Brethren, I spoke last time on Christ's Passover and on our preparation for the Passover and examining ourselves, as you know. Today, I want to pick up on that and follow through uh, with where we were last time and pick up on Christ this time, not just the Passover, but Christ as our high priest and our living head. Christ is our high priest and our living head. He's also our coming king. And I'll be speaking on that next time. But I want all of you to focus on these two things. So let's pick up just where we left off last time. If you have your notes, we finished last time. I spoke two weeks ago back in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, right at the end of his life, just as Christ was preparing to go to his death on the cross. And he said here in Luke chapter 22, and I want to begin reading here in verse uh, 31. He said, Christ said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, meaning Simon Peter, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan was particularly trying to upset and somehow get control of Peter, which would have been a master stroke if he had somehow confused Peter or caused Peter to give up. The leader among the original 12 apostles, as he's the one who gave the Passover Pentecost sermon, he's the one who healed the man at the gate called Beautiful, he's the one, he's the one over and over again. If some of you don't understand that, he certainly was the leader among them. And yet Satan was particularly after him. For I have prayed for you, Jesus said, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, or when you have been converted, as the the uh, uh, King James has it, convert means to change, but when you turned and got back on track, strengthen your brethren. And we certainly do need God's special help. Peter needed God's special help. Even Peter needed Christ's prayer, personal extra prayer for him, he was being attacked directly by Satan the devil. And we need to understand many of our brethren right now are being attacked directly by Satan the devil. They may not always know it, but he's trying to get at us and get at some of our people just before the Passover. And so that is a very important thing to understand. And then as he went out toward the Mount of Olives in verse 39, as he was accustomed to and his disciples followed, he came to the place and said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. You'll be tempted, but don't give in to it. Don't enter into it. And he was about a thrown throw away. He walked over among the trees to be by himself and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That is where we closed last time. And my brethren, we have to really have that attitude. And if we don't learn to have that attitude, we won't have it as perfectly as Christ did. But if we don't have that basic attitude, frankly, we will not be there. We won't. 
We won't be in God's kingdom unless we learn to give up the self. I want this, and I want this, and I demand this, and if I get my feelings hurt, here's what I want, and what, bang, 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 all that attitude. That was exact opposite of the attitude Jesus Christ had just as he prepared to give his life for us, just as he prepared to go out and have them come and grab him and curse him, hit him, spit on him, and then take him out for the formal Roman scourging where this lictor who had the cat of nine tails and knew how to give a licking and tear the hide right off, he knew what was going to happen to him. That's why he asked God for help. His hide was to be torn off. The blood was to be running down. His whole body was convulsing. And before they got through hitting and knocking him, he probably had maybe a detached retina. Maybe one of his eardrums was already burst. That's one reason he may not have been able to stand up straight. He lost his balance. He was beaten to a pulp. He knew that was just ahead. And then they were to take great big hammer and jam great big spikes into his arms and legs and nail him to the cross, and he was to hang there like a rat. And often it took two or three days for the man to convulse and agony and scream and pain and die. In his case, God did mercifully cut it short. Some unknown man, I used to say it was an Italian. I don't blame the Italians. I love Italians, but I love Italian food and so on, Italian music. But we don't know. The Roman army had conscripts from all over the world. An unknown man of whatever background, it doesn't make any difference. Some unknown soldier, God put it in this young man's mind to turn, and Christ was groaning, and all of a sudden he said, shut up, and rammed that spear in his side, blood gushed out, and mercifully he died right after six hours rather than several days. And he screamed, and the blood poured out, his head slumped, and his spirit was gone. He had died for our sins after saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he meant it. So, brethren, we really need to have that attitude right down to our toenails and work on it. I do, you do. We really need that with all of our hearts and to pray that all our brethren can have that attitude. John 15, verse 20. Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will keep yours also. Did they really obey Christ? No. People will say, well, if Christ were here, we'd do what he said. No, many of you would not. They were carnal back then. They didn't. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Do you know God, or do you just know about God? Are you acquainted with God, walking with God, talking with God, having God genuinely guide your mind, your heart, your attitudes, day by day and hour by hour? They didn't know God. That's the reason they killed the Son of God. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. Jesus went on to say, and then he said, else they would have no sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word ought to be fulfilled, which is written in the law, they hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, here he's talking about the Holy Spirit, when the helper comes, whom I, 
Christ will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So the Holy Spirit will help you understand all the facets of Christ's teaching and what it really means. And you will also, uh, you also will be witnesses to me because you've been with me from the beginning. And then we read in chapter 16, John 16, beginning in verse 12, he said, however, when he, the spirit of truth, God's Holy Spirit was to come, he will guide you into all truth, work to constantly grow in grace and in knowledge. And I hope today you can grow in a certain aspect of understanding Christ and how much he really is our high priest and our living head and what that means and ought to mean. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will help you understand even prophecy. So we do need to understand all these things about Christ. And, of course, the big thing of all about Christianity, how we overcome, as I've said almost every sermon, I don't want to ever bore you with it, but as in Galatians 2 at verse 20, where Paul was inspired to tell us, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm not dead. I'm still alive. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith of, it's correctly translated in the genitive, of, I live in the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. So Christ is to live his life in us. And the Bible tells us, John or Hebrews 13, verse 8, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he will live in you the same life he did live 1,900 years ago. And our Savior, our living Savior and high priest, he is to live in us, obviously through the Holy Spirit. Now let's turn to the book Mr. Armstrong used to preach on occasionally. Sometimes he'd go through the whole book, verse by verse. I might do that sometime because I'm very familiar with it and taught the Epistles of Paul class for many years. But let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Let's go back to Hebrews, the second chapter, if you would, and beginning in verse 17. Here Paul, or as Paul is writing this, he says, Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. So Christ had to become fully human so he could really understand us, so he could get inside our minds, get inside our heads, get inside our emotions, and understand the pain the frustration, the wretchedness that we sometimes have to fight in our own selves, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And brethren, you're all tempted. You know that. Christ has been here. He's been in the human flesh. He could have had powerful resentment and bitterness against those other religious leaders of the Pharisees and Sadducees. How dare these people try to argue with me? How dare these people put me down? How dare these people try to even beat up on me, throw me off that big cliff, which they tried to after his first sermon there in Nazareth, to throw him down off that cliff? 
How dare they turn me over and say, crucify him, crucify him, and so on, which they did. The religious leaders were the ones that caused that. Boy, he could have been bitter and resentful against them. He wasn't. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. God is not calling them yet. He had to overcome all kinds of problems and situations just like we do in the human flesh of a tendency to get bitter, of a tendency to judge others. He had to overcome human lust and vanity. The devil tempted him and said, here you are, and if you're the son of God, make these stones bread. Took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He knew he was going to have those kingdoms. He had made those kingdoms, but he allowed Satan the devil to be there for 6,000 years, and he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give them to you. And he was in the human flesh. He was weak. This powerful personality was beating on his brain there for several hours. Obviously, we just get a very synopsis of that in the Gospels. And Christ had to resist that. He could have had all that right now. He didn't deny Satan had that power. He knew he did have that power. But he had to see beyond the immediate. He had to see the big picture. He had to see the perfect will of God in all those situations and be big enough to not go along with the devil's temptations. So Christ was prepared to be our high priest by going through the human experience fully. Let's turn over to chapter 3 now. Hebrews chapter 3. And here in Hebrews chapter 3 and beginning verse 1, Therefore, brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So Christ is the real apostle. He is the real high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. He's the one who built that whole nation. For every house is built by someone, but he was built all as God. But Moses indeed was faithful in his house as a servant for a testimony to those which would be spoken after him. But Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are, notice, brethren, we are Christ's house. We're his dwelling place. He lives in us if, that's the biggest two-letter word in the English language, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope to our, of the firm to the end. We are to hold fast. We're not to get our vanity, jealousy, lust, greed, bitterness, self-will. Here's what I want and no one's going to tell me something else ever to rise up and turn us away from God or the church which Christ is the living head of. So he tells us to be very, very careful of that and I hope all of us can. He said, going on, therefore the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. Remember how often I like to go through. Mr. Armstrong used to read back through those passages sometimes. Sometimes he had two and one half hours to give a sermon. I'm not exaggerating. The regular service was three hours. So he spoke straight through for two and a half hours sometimes and had time to read and read and read. And he'd read how they, they would disobey Moses. Then they'd try to kill Moses. They tried to stone Aaron and Moses. They got mad every time they got corrected. They were bitter, carnal, rebellious. 
The murmurings, the murmurings. Well, we don't agree with Moses. Well, Aaron and Moses are taking too much of themselves. Well, we have our human reasons. Blah, blah, blah. They went on and on. The murmurings of the children of Israel. God never liked that. And yet we have that sometimes in our church. That same human nature stirred up by the same Satan, the devil, to turn those against human beings that are human, and yet that God is using to do his work. I would say this, and I don't want to brag by my part, I may be the weakest one, but we have, and I've been, as I said, in the church 63 and one half years and watched and somehow got to know very closely thousands of hours personally with Herbert Armstrong, Garner Ted Armstrong, Dick Armstrong, and Herman Hay, and many of the other leaders, Raymond McNair, whom I lived with for a while, went on baptizing tours with, and of course I got to know terribly well Raymond Cole, Burt McNair, and nearly all the other older leaders, and taught and trained and baptized some of them, like Dave, like Dean Blackwell and Dave Albert, who was later on the television, and others like that. I got to know them very, very well. And I think right now, sincerely, and I mean this, leaving myself out, I think sincerely that we have probably the most dedicated and clean and pure ministry, certainly here at headquarters, and as far as I can tell around the world, that I have ever seen. I really mean that. I could give you examples, but I don't want to tell you bad things about the past. But we have that. But in the church brethren, some of them have fallen short, and some of this stuff that's coming out now, even here, has been building up for years. Attitudes of murmuring and judging and profound disrespect for the ministry. And sometimes the ministry was not right there where they were working with them and guiding them as much as we should have been. But they got off track and are really sorry about that. Because if it keeps on, more marriages will be broken up. More people will be gone from the church. More people will be gone for their jobs right here. It's serious, brethren. We need to pray about that and ask God to help these human beings and work with them and teach them and train them and fashion and mold them as only God can do. But we do have a very dedicated ministry to do that. So he says, do not harden your hearts. Don't do that. Don't do it. Here's what I want. Now, we're going to have our attitude and we're not going to change. That attitude will not stay in God's church. And if any of you have that attitude, you just should leave yourself. If that's your attitude, you don't belong in God's church. I'll just be honest. We might lose some of you. I'm sorry about that. I love you. My dad used to say when I was a rebellious teenager for a couple of years, I went through a bad spill. I'm sure none of you went through a bad spell. <laughs> but I had a bad spell as a teenager. And I remember my father would say, he said, Rod, he said, that attitude, he said, you can stay. But that bad attitude's got to go. I remember him saying that. You can stay, but that attitude has got to go. And that's the way it is among us here. That attitude has got to go, otherwise you have got to go. And I hope you can understand what we're saying. You're not to have that rebellious, self-willed attitude that they had in the day of trial where your fathers tested me and proved me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry. You say, oh, Jesus was so wonderful, he would never get angry. Yes, he was. Jesus was the God of the Old Testament, and he was angry with that generation and said they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath 
they shall not enter my rest. And the rest he was talking about was dual, of course, the Sabbath, but primarily going into the promised land. Beware, brethren, get this, verse 12, beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Interesting how that's worded, isn't it? An evil heart of unbelief. If you don't believe your very creator, God calls that an evil heart. That attitude will not take you into the kingdom. Somewhere along the line, I have had to get over the attitude, which I've had at times when I was first coming into the church. Well, Mr. Armstrong just making noise and he's yelling at us or he corrected me or he's corrected the church too hard and realized, no, he's a human. But God was using him and building the church of God through him as an instrument. And I had to look beyond him to God and I not have an evil heart of unbelief. That's what God calls it. And departing from the living God. Don't ever depart from the living God. But exhort one another daily. It doesn't say pick at each other. Don't do that. But you can rightly exhort or encourage and say, look, John or Jen, or tell your wife, Joanne, or your husband, Joe, please, let's get, let's get with it. This is the church of God. Let's get in, clear in, or clear out. Don't hang around on the fringe all the time, picking and picking away at the very work we're part of. Be loyal. Be right in the center of God's will. Exhort one another today while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is very deceitful. Well, I see this other woman over here and my wife's getting kind of old and fat, so I just, God won't mind, you know, or my husband is not terribly romantic or something, so I'm going to just look over this other direction and God won't care. Yes, he will care. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And God said, if you start to look at and turn over in your mind, attitudes of sex with another person besides your mate that you're bound to by God in heaven, that is the spirit of adultery. That's what it is. And you will not go in God's kingdom with that attitude. So don't let that happen to you. The deceitfulness of sin is very clever. For we have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So we're to hold that confidence in Christ his way is right. He's alive. He's there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And he will never change. And I've got to obey him and serve him to the end of my life. So we're to have that attitude to the end. Now let's go down to chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, this coming rest in, in, in uh, the promised land they had and certainly in God's kingdom which we have let us fear Paul writes lest any of you seem to have become short of it for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them this is kind of interesting the Protestants I don't think really understand this or wouldn't like it if we preach it to them they think you've got to believe in their version of Jesus sweet Jesus how could they believe in sweet Jesus when Paul, I mean, when Moses and Aaron were telling him to obey the Ten Commandments and follow the way of God back there. Well, that's because Christ was there. He was the God of Israel. And they heard the good news of the coming government of God. The, the promised land is a type of that. In that general way, they had the gospel preached to them. 
You look to Christ. You obey the Ten Commandments. You do what you're told in a right way within God's church based on the Bible. You show God that you are loyal. You show God that you're responsive. He wants to have you be responsive to him. Christ wants you to be responsive to him. He's going to be your boss. He's going to be the king over the kingdom. He will be your savior, your high priest, and your living head and your leader throughout all eternity. And if you won't respond to him now through his human church, how can he possibly believe that you would respond to him later on in his kingdom? You would say, well, yes, but. Well, I disagree with this. But this is my opinion, my opinion, my opinion. I don't think Christ is interested in my opinion or your opinion. If I'm God's true servant and doing what he said, and you have to figure that out, does Christ have a true church? Does he have true ministers? And do we really understand what's in here? You need to prove that to yourself. And I hope all of you will. But then it's not just my opinion, what I'm reading here. It's God's opinion. And you've got to really have a humble attitude, a teachable attitude, and say, yes, Lord, not yes, Lord, to me, but yet, yes, Lord, to Christ. Not yes, Lord, to Dr. Nail or Mr. Ames or anyone else, but yes, Lord, to Christ. So that's the attitude all of us need to have and be sure that we respond to that. So the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. They did not have faith in God and faith that God was there in the person of the Yagos, the spokesman. For we who have believed do enter that rest, that is God's uh, millennial rest, of which the Sabbath is the type. For he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So the seventh day is a type of the millennium. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and there is, and, and, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Get it? Not just disbelief, but disobedience. He designates a certain time saying in David, today after a long time, as it has been said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, of course. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest or sabbatismos is the Greek word here, the keeping of the Sabbath for the people of God. So we do need to obey God and and do what he said in the weekly Sabbath. Then we will be in the ultimate millennial Sabbath in God's kingdom. For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. 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 That's what Paul is saying to us. We are to learn to have the attitude, obviously, of obedience to God, our leader, our head. He says in verse 14, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Christ is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been there. 
He's been a teenager. He's felt the pulls of sex, the desire to hit back, the desire to get even, the desire to have fun, fun just like all the other kids. Don't think he didn't have any of that surging in his body or in his mind. He did. He had these same problems to fight as we do. For we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize, but was in all points tempted as we are. All points, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And brethren, boy, do we need to do that knowing that God tells us that through Christ, because he would die for us, the wall of partition has been broken down and we can directly approach God the Father and ask God's direct help through Jesus Christ and know that Christ is there as we pray, sitting at the right hand of the Father and we lift our eyes, our, our, our eyes, our hands, our hearts to God. Father in heaven, help me. Help me. And know that Jesus is there at the Father's right hand and he will help us. He will guide us. He will respond if we really mean it. If we really want in God's kingdom so bad we can taste it, we need to cry out to God and ask for that help. And I hope all of us can really learn that. All right, let's turn to chapter 5 now. Chapter 5 and beginning reading here, uh, if you would, down in verse 5. Paul says here, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, Today have I begotten you. That's how he was high priest. God made him that. I notice in the church of God today, we love, we love them all, but some are weaker than others. We've had some fellows out there who have appointed themselves as prophets or apostles. No one else appointed them that. They just appointed themselves as that. And of course, if you read this whole chapter, uh, frankly, they're in trouble. Not, and there was nothing in the Bible that indicates they should have that office at all. But amen, he says uh, up in chapter, up in verse 4, talking about the priesthood, no man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God just as Aaron was. And no man should appoint himself, you know, a minister. And no man should certainly try to take various offices as like the high priest. Christ was set there by the God who spoke that to him, the Creator. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. I've read this to you quite a number of times before, but brethren, please read this regularly. I don't mean every day, but read this part of the Bible quite often. It'll be good for you. Think about it. Even Jesus Christ, who had been with God from eternity when he was down here in the human flesh and was suffering like we do. I know my wife has gone through a great deal of suffering with her cancer and I would come downstairs to where she was sleeping in the downstairs bedroom at that time, not knowing whether she would live through the night. And I always hoped that she would be alive and every time she was, but we didn't know and she didn't know either. She didn't know either. And she made it, and God was with her. And we're very, very thankful to God for that. But I had this recent terrible stomach flu hit me, and I lost weight. I'm still a little weak from it because this has been the hardest thing I've had in about six years, or at least a year and a half or so before my stroke, that I've had something that bad. 
And it makes you realize how weak you are, how very, very weak you are, and your whole body is just coming apart, it seems like. Our life is here for a little while. When Mrs. Dennis Luker called me the other day, I could tell she was about ready to cry. She knew she might not have her husband very many more months. They haven't heard a timeline yet from the doctor. She said they would be talking to her about that later that day or, or whenever soon. But sometime when you're told you have three months or six months to live, as my wife was, you, you, it really focuses you. You need God. You can't play funny games. You'd better not play funny games. You really need God. And Jesus Christ, who had been God, was still in very good health, frankly. He never broke God's physical laws. Must have been in good health physically. But he knew, because that spiritual understanding came back to his mind, his little brain developed, and by age 12, he was already more capable than the great teachers of the law. He argued with them, or reasoned with them, I mean, remember, in, in the temple. And they were astonished at his understanding and answers because he who had been God now was in the human flesh as a 12-year-old, he really understood. And when he knew he had this pull to get even with these guys, when he had this pull towards some beautiful woman, when he had this pull to exalt himself or whatever it was, the normal pulls of the flesh, he knew, I can't do that. I dare not do that. If I fall away, who's going to die for the whole human race? Who else is there? I have to make it. I must make it. I will make it. Father, help me. Help me. He cried out to God again and again and again with vehement cries and tears. Help me. Do you ever pray that way? I hope you do. And I hope you mean it. Don't just fake it. God can see through you real quick if you put on something. You don't need to show off and tell people about it. But you need to cry out to God when you sense that Satan is messing with your mind. He's stirring up resentment and bitterness and rebellion and lust and greed and the desire for power and to justify yourself and to argue with the very ministers of Jesus Christ on this earth. And if I die next month or next year, I'd still tell you the same thing. It's not about me. It's about God. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. Don't be that way, brethren. You won't make it into God's kingdom. Have the fear of God in the right way, the awe of God. That's what God wants you to have. That's what your living high priest wants you to have. So your living high priest is that because he went through this in his own human experience. He understands what is to be, to be just beset by problems, to be beset by temptations and pulls to go the wrong way. And of course, when he had that come on him, he cried out with prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him was able to save him from death. And he was heard, why? Because he had all kinds of technical knowledge, because he had great love. Well, he had great love, and he had great technical knowledge, but at that point, the main thing God shows, because of his godly fear, even Christ in the flesh could realize if he messed up, the Father was not going to give him eternal life in a state of rebellion. If Satan got at him, that would have been it. It would have, brethren. God, God would not have given him a second chance. He knew too much. I'm not going to have a second chance. I've said this before and I mean it. I'm near the end of my physical life and God has worked with me and helped me and blessed me. And I'm far, far from perfect. So I'm not trying to talk about being perfect. I'm not. 
But I know that I've had my calling. I've had my chance. And if I'm turned aside, there's not going to be a second chance for Roderick Meredith. There won't be. And there wasn't going to be any second chance for Christ. He had a deep, godly fear, an absolute awe of God and how right it was and how wrong it would be to turn away and fight God in any way whatsoever. He was heard when he cried out to God because of his godly fear. That's what it says right here in God's inspired word. Though he was a son, yet he, even Christ, learned obedience. He learned an attitude, a depth of obedience in the whole attitude of heart, not just technical obedience, but the total yielding, the total surrender that that last sentence that we read at the last sermon showed. Not my will, but yours be done. And he meant it. So he had the attitude of godly obedience. He learned that by the things which he suffered. He had to go through poles and overcome it. And he did overcome it. And having been made perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. And so that is something that God wants us to do. Called by God, high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. Who were these people dull of hearing? The brand new members? No. They were the Hebrews. They were the headquarters church. They were the ones who'd been there the longest, the old timers. You become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be, you, he told them, and many of you older brethren here too, some of you are younger, so I'm not meaning you, but you ought to be teachers. Paul was saying to some of us too, you need someone else to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have not have come to need milk. Go right back over the basics and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is spiritually, that is, those who by reason of use, habitual use and practice over and over as you walk with God, full age is by reason of habitual use of those who have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You've got to be habitually choosing the good and resisting the evil in a thousand different ways in really good music, good art, good literature, good conversation, the good way you react to problems, the good way you react to those who accuse you, the good way of those who react to even people you may not like in a special way but are still human beings, the way you react to everything, to discern both good and evil in every situation. So God is watching us. He's working with us. He wants a group of people, brethren, and Christ is sitting at God's right hand because he and the Father are working together to make you and me, all of us in this room, full sons of God. They want a group of people who would then be spirit beings, glorified spirit beings, that they could later send one of us and different ones, different places out to Pluto or Saturn or Alpha Centauri or all these planets way out in space and they would know and know that they know by a whole lifetime of overcoming that whatever they say, we have proved that God is God. 
We have proved that he is right. We prove that his way is right. And we won't argue. We won't try to water it down. We won't try to sneak around and compromise it in any way. They could trust us to take over and run a whole civilization on a different planet out there as full sons of the living God. That's God's purpose. That's why you and I are called now to do this work of God and also to help prepare us to be those kings and priests in God's kingdom. And certainly that's going to be an awesome responsibility and opportunity that we have. So I hope we can grasp it. It's absolutely wonderful when you do understand. Now let's go on to chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the uh, element, the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Perfection, why? Well, we're to become like God. Let us go on not having, laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. You shouldn't have to be repenting of the basic things all over again. And the faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For, listen, brethren, please listen. It is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Get this. Some of you younger people, some of you newer people in the church have not been baptized. You haven't come to that point yet. I understand that. Some of you older people might have been dunked in the water at a time you didn't really get it. You didn't really repent. You've never been really converted. You've never really been, as Mr. Armstrong said, conquered by God. But if you have been conquered by God, you have to take this very seriously. If you have been partakers of the Holy Spirit and you have tasted the good word of God, you've fed on God's word, you understand it, you've seen how it works in your life, You've seen God heal people. You've seen how God has changed people's lives. And I could go through example after example of all that. And all the time I've been in the church, I've seen that. I've seen these wonderful healings that I've told you about. I can't deny that. They've happened. They're real. I've seen how God has intervened powerfully in world events. It's real. And it was predicted way ahead. You've tasted the powers of the age to come. If they fall away. If people like that right here fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Brethren, don't let that happen. That must not happen to any of you. But that is a very serious warning. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it (coughs) and bears herbs useful for those whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and you're to be cursed whose end is to be burned. Burned up. That's what briars have happened to them when they're thrown in the brush pile. And God does not treat us like a bunch of brush. But you all know that if people have the knowledge of the truth, and I've just read it to you. It's mentioned two or three times this way in the Bible, clearly. And deliberately, knowingly turn aside, your end is to be burned up in the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a lot hotter than Satan's hell, as it's described, where you live on and on in hell and never burn up. In the lake of fire, you will burn up and you will be ashes. Malachi, 
tells us we will be ashes under the soles of the feet of the righteous. So it's not wrong to mention that once in a while. There is a godly fear. And some have not had that fear the way they should have at all in the right way. And I don't want any of you to fall away because we've been too nice about things. Please don't let this happen to you. But beloved, we are confident of the better things concerning you. Yes, things pertaining to salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not uh, unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown toward his saints in that you minister to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you uh, show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. So we've got to be sure that we keep right on showing diligence. That's the point. You won't float into the kingdom of God. You have to drive yourself to get into God's kingdom. You need to go all out. You need to seek with all your heart. If with all your heart you seek me, you shall surely find me. That's mentioned three or four times in the Bible, as you know. You don't drift in. You go in because you come to understand that you're going to be given a place in the very family of God, the ruling family of the universe. It means everything to you. And you're willing to go all out. And I hope that you will be. I hope that this can really mean that to you. So Christ is our high priest and certainly our living head. Let's go now to the book of Colossians, brethren. Colossians, if you would, chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading here in Colossians uh, 1, beginning in verse 15. Colossians 1 and verse 15. And notice what it says here. Colossians 1 and verse 15. Talking about Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Christ made everything. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he, Christ, is, notice, Christ is the head of the body, the church. Who's the head of the church? Rod Meredith? No. Richard Ames? No. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. And yet we human servants under him are being guided by him. And God shows that so many times in the Bible. And he will guide those in authority as long as they walk his ways. And as long as you see the fruits that the basic truth of God is preached that the work of God is basically being done and the government of God is basically being carried out, then you'd better sense that's where Christ is working. If you find where those three things are done somewhere else, you should go there. Think about it. You should go there. I don't know of any other place. And if I were to die tomorrow, it would still be that way because we have men like Mr. Ames and Dr. Nail and Mr. Gerald Weston and our other leaders here that are in the church, our leading men that are so dedicated and sound and solid that carry on this same work of God in the right way. But Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the very first human to be born from the dead, born by a resurrection, that in all things he may have preeminence. So Christ is the head of the church. He's in charge. And we need to really understand that. He's working with us to make us holy 
and blameless in God's sight. And we need to really think about that. Christ is assigned by the Father, brethren, to fashion and mold you and me to help us, to help bring to our mind the things we need to do better, to teach and train us, to help us knock off the rough edges, to help us become a perfect human being, a real full Christian in every way, to walk with God, talk with God, commune with God, to love one another, to forgive one another, to get right in the center of God's will, to get right in the center of God's work, to be a team player in the very church of God, the body of Christ, and get his work done. He'll see if we're like that now. He knows we'll be like that later on. If Christ tells us to do something now, and we say, yeah, well, but, and we water it down, he knows that same attitude will be there later. He's our high priest. He is the immediate head over the church to do that kind of thing. So he's assigned by the Father to do that. So we can finally come to that attitude, you know, that we saw at the end of Luke chapter 22. Not my will, but thine be done. That's the attitude he wants in all of us. Brethren, have you come to that point? Think about it profoundly and be honest with yourself because you can't, you can't get saved by giving me the right answer. God knows your heart. And he sees what you mean by your heart and by your fruits. What do you actually do? So through Christ in you, are you really overcoming the self? Are you overcoming your vanity? I'm important and I think I'm as good as anyone else and my opinion is just as good as anyone. Well, your opinion is just as good as mine, maybe better than mine on cooking or building houses or all kinds of things. But if I'm the human leader under Christ then God would say, you ought to listen to me in spiritual things. You can figure that out. And if I'm gone, you ought to listen to Mr. Ames and Dr. Nail and Mr. Weston or other leading ministers. Be honest about it. That's what it obviously means. Warrior teachers, honor what Christ is doing through those offices. Honor that and show that by the way you react. So think about it. Are you already overcoming that human self-will and vanity? The desire for pleasure, I want fun and I want it however I can get it. The desire for liquor, you want to drink too much. The desire for sex, some people somehow get their minds down below their belts. Well, I can reason this and that because my human drive is just too powerful. No, it's not too powerful. Everybody has that. Christ had to control that. Christ was never married at all. And he probably had a lot more sex drive than any man in this room because all the wheat germ was in the wheat back then. <laughs> you see what I mean? He had powerful drive, but he controlled it. He focused on something bigger. So don't let yourself be overwhelmed by your own lust and your vanity, jealousy, lust, and greed, your self-will. I want what I want and the spirit of rebellion. If they tell me this, I'm out of here. No, you shouldn't be out of here no matter what. You say, God's will be done. If you disagree with something, you come humbly and talk about it and be willing to listen to those that God is using. And then do as Christ directs his church to teach. And if you find a better church, you better go there. But you're not going to find one at this point, as far as I can tell. As I've said, that's what I would want my own family to do, to stay where Christ is primarily working at this time. So I hope all of you can understand that. Can God really trust you through all eternity to be right in the center of his will? That's the point.
Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, brethren. Ephesians now, chapter 1. And most of you know where I'm going here. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, verse 19, talking of Christ, describing what is the exceeding greatness of His power, God's power toward us who believe, according to the work of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 20, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand, Christ is seating in glory at the right hand of God in heaven, in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and over and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he, God, put all things under his, Christ's feet and gave him Christ to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Brethren, Christ is the head of the church of all aspects of it. He's the head over all things in the church. He's the head of the visiting program. He's the head of church administration. He's the head of the business department. He's the head of the living university. He's the head of every aspect of the work. He's the head of editorial. He's the head of everything we have in the work of God. And we have humans under him. They may make mistakes, but God will never let them make a mistake big enough to wreck the whole work. And if any of you ever have a problem with your supervisor, you're to go to his supervisor, and then he's to come to Mr. Ames or me or some of us at the top of the human organization, and we would cry out to God for wisdom, and you should react to the one that God puts there. As I said, if I'm gone tomorrow, you'd better, you'd better have that attitude, whoever's put there, and show that depth of conversion to follow where Christ is working. Will you be led by your vanity to rebel against that? Christ, who is the head over all things to the church, that's what this book t tells you right here. God, as you know, brethren, says the Old Testament was written for our admonition upon the ends of the world are come. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Christ, of course, was the God of the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. That rock, the rock that guided ancient Israel, that rock was Christ. So let's turn to the high priest back here, the, high, the leading priests and judges and some instruction about that back here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 17. He says here to us, and he's talking directly to ancient Israel, but this is for our admonition too. The principle is exactly the same. Deuteronomy 17, verse 8 if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of blood guiltiness, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge that is there in those days, who would usually be a Levite, as the whole scripture shows in most cases, and inquire of them. And they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. And you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses. Now, where did the Lord choose today? As many of us talked and consulted and fasted and prayed. And we did for months before we moved here asking God to guide us. And for many reasons, God brought us to Charlotte, North Carolina. This is the human headquarters of his human church at this time.
That's why we're here. So the principle is this. We're here. The leading ministers are here. And if you follow the principles of God's word, if you have some upset about something you don't agree with in the church or in your department, if you're working for us or whatever it is, you're to go to the leaders. First, you go to, of course, Mr. Rod McNair, Mr. League, the ministers. And if they can't help you with it, feel they needs to be brought on up, then Mr. Ames and Dr. Nail and I could get in on it. And they shall pronounce upon you the sense of judgment and God commands you shall do according to the sense which they pronounce upon you in that place which the Lord chooses and you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. That's what God says. According to the sentence of the law which they instruct you according to the judgment which they tell you you shall do, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Say, well, yes, but. Well, yes, but. Here's my You don't see any of that here, do you? Now, the man who acts presumptuously, here's what I think. Well, I'm going to do. No one's going to tell him anything. Frankly, how long did that last in ancient Israel? Not very long. That's why the dead bodies of those Israelites littered the whole desert as they came across as is described elsewhere in the book of Hebrews, as well as back in Exodus. They rebelled, they rebelled, and only two men made it clear on over. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them all died. That's amazing. When you, you read it, you read most of you. All of them died of that generation. Well, yes, but here's the way I think of it. And they would argue. So God tells us this, and he's trying to get this through our thick heads. The man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the eternal your God or the judge that man shall die. So you shall put away evil from Israel. And brethren, of course, we do not administer the death penalty. I hope all of you brethren know that. Of course, all you older brethren do. But it will be the same today eventually. But God will administer the death penalty if you argue, it will not do what is said. And if you don't repent of that, it's somewhere along the line. Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to follow what God tells you and what God's leadership guides you to do, or you won't be there. As I've said, I may not be here to argue with you another year or two. I hope I will. I'm just being honest with you. You've got to look to God and know that God is real. You've got to obey God and fear God and cry out to God for help and mean it just like Christ did who was heard because of his godly fear. That godly awe that even the Son of God had. We need a little bit more of that today in our democratic society. We're so used to watering things down. Here's what I want. We want to do what we want to do. So he says... That was to be the judgment. And all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. So that's a very important principle. And I hope all of you can grasp that and realize how important that attitude is to learn. Now let's go back again to Hebrews, brethren. This time Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go this time to Hebrews chapter 10 in your New Testament here. And a little later on in this magnificent book that is talking about the priesthood and Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10 and beginning in verse 19, 
Paul writes, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, we can go right to God himself in the holy of holies in our prayers by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his blood or his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Don't give up. Hold it fast without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Get this, verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Pray for each other. Pray for each other again and again, but also encourage each other, exhort each other, comment to each other in the right way. And don't be afraid. If it hurts their feelings, that's better than having them leave the whole church. It's better than having them go on the lake of fire. So stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some. Some just stay away from church whenever the weather's bad. Some stay away from the church with every little excuse that they can possibly think of. God says, don't do that. If you're really sick and sneezing and it's bad, that's different. But if I'd stayed away from school or from church every time I had a runny nose, I would never have graduated from junior high. I mean that. I used to have sinus trouble continually in the winter back in Missouri and so on. So, you know, I didn't use those excuses. I went out to football practice and when I was cold or my nose was running and I'd come home from football practice with the back of my hands was all scarred up and bleeding from blocking practice and, and all the rest of it crashing against other young men. That's what young men like to do, of course, crashing against each other. But, you know, I didn't try to give up because I had a runny nose or a headache. It never occurred to me to do that. Kaminsky said, be there. He was our big coach, and so we were there. How much more when Jesus Christ said, be there, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another again. You better oughta. John, get with it. Let's get in it. Let's make it. You can make it. I can make it. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, here it is again, deliberately when you know better, after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fierce, certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation. The lake of fire which will devour the adversaries. So, brethren, don't let that happen ever. Don't let that happen to you. It's just not worth it. Notice now in verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't ever let lose that wonderful faith you have in God, for you have need of endurance. Don't give up and quit. Hang in there, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Some of you have been in the work for years. You've come so far. Don't blow it now. Don't lose your reward in this life and in eternal life as well. How much more in eternal life? Don't turn aside. For you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come. Yes, Christ will come. And as we see these big events happening, as they're beginning to happen more and more swiftly, we will see that on the horizon, and that's very encouraging. He will come. Now, the just shall live by faith. We don't yet see the invisible God. I don't yet see the invisible God. He hasn't appeared to me in person at all. 
But I know he's there. And I've seen for 63 years how he intervenes and works with people and teaches them lessons. How he supernaturally heals the sick, guides the affairs of nations. He is there. He's all powerful. He's real. He is our God. His son is our living head and our high priest. He who is going to come will come. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But you are not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And God willing, that's what you are. Don't be among those who draw back, my brethren. Don't do things halfway. Go all out to be in the kingdom of God. Never turn back. The stakes are too high. Eternity in God's family is too wonderful. So have that vision. Have that goal. And pray fervently. Pray with all your being, with vehement cries and tears. And pray for one another.